Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of 1 John. The book of 1 John in chapter number 2. We've been slowly but steadily been walking through the book of 1 John in the last little bit. Examining the, this book, this is one of the foundational books of the Christian life. In fact, this is my personal recommendation to every person who who's newly accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior because this establishes so much of the principles of the brand new life that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Basically, this is the first grade study. This is, this is what to get the good foundation to build off of for the rest of your Christian life. And so we've been taking our time and walking through the book of 1 John, understanding the theme of 1 John is fellowship with Christ, walking with the Lord, that God desires fellowship with us. He doesn't just didn't want to save us. He saved us with a purpose that he can spend time with us, that he could fellowship with us, that we could walk with him. And how can two walk together unless they be agreed, the Bible says. If you wouldn't mind, let's examine a little bit more from this book in the book of 1 John chapter number 2. 1 John chapter 2, and we find our way in verse number 15. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15, the word of God says this. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a commandment we find in the book of 1 John chapter 2? 1 John chapter 2 verse 15, and this is a commandment, Love not the world. Love not the world. And if you wouldn't mind, let's go to the Lord together as we preach this message. Love not the world. Let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for the great privilege it is to come up to you now. And I'm asking that you would speak to us, that you would open up your Bible in a special way for the purpose that we can see you high, holy, and lift it up. I thank you that you're a real God who does hear and answer our prayers. That you're a God who loves us so much that you warn us and you try to protect us and you teach us about the dangers around us. That you give us wisdom and discernment about things that we wouldn't even pay attention to on our own. I'm asking that you would be with my lips, that you would be with my mind, be with my thoughts. And that you would let this be as clear as possible. Once again, I can't trust myself, so the best I know how, I surrender myself to you and beg that you fill me with your precious spirit. Thank you, Lord, for the promises you give. And I'm asking that you would continue just to do your own work through your word today. And we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The Bible very clearly says, love not the world. 
Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, we have to define our terms. How is the world identified here you know is it the planet that we live in is it uh, we're not supposed to love the trees or the the dirt you know is it that we're we supposed to not love that or you know it says in the bible that for god so loved the world what is the world there we understand when god so loved the world he loved the people of the world and we're supposed to love the people of the world too so what does this world mean the identification or the definition of this world here is the world system the world's system. It's the things of the world. It's the culture of the world. It's the things within the world. Those type of things are always against God. And the Bible explains in Romans chapter 1, uh, uh, 12 verses 1 and 2, it says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good, perfect, and acceptable will of God. We understand that the world is trying to conform all of us to be more like the world. It's trying to conform us to be against the things of God. It wants us to think things that are against God. It wants to try to make us and mold us so that way we don't stand out, that we don't... Uh, be a hiccup that we are all transformed sometimes people will accuse uh, Christians of trying to cut up uh, cookie cutter Christians trying to make everyone look the same and dress the same but to be honest the world is trying to conform everyone to be the same and not to stand up against what everyone else is doing so as we define what the the word uh, world is that it's the world system and not the people of the world love not the world neither the things that are in the world if any man love the world the love of the father is not in him why does the bible say that the bible is clear that god is going one way and the world is going a different direction. They are opposite. You cannot follow both. You have to choose. There's an old proverb that says, if a man chases two rabbits, he'll, lo he'll, he'll lose them both. You, you can't chase both of them. You can't go both of them. You have to pick which one you want. And it's either you love the Lord or you love the world's system and the things of the world. Which brings me to my first point here, the love of the world. The love of the world. The Bible goes on and defines and describes what does it mean to love the world. Notice if you wouldn't mind in verse number 16. For all that is in the world, it says the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father but is of the world. Notice there are three things here that define how we love the world or how we love the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Once again, we need to define our terms. Sometimes we use the word lust as an idea of a sexual type thing. The word lust just means an intense desire. So here we have the lust of, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> it says the lust of the flesh. The lust of the flesh. What is this? The lust of the flesh is those things that your flesh wants or needs. Sometimes you can lust and desire for things that you legitimately need, but you accomplish it or satisfy them through illegitimate needs. For example, 
you could say, hmm, I'm hungry. And you know, we could eat things that are good for us, and we could eat some things that are bad for us, right? But you know, I'm really craving uh, double nacho shrimp, whatever else, and you know, but you can't afford it. I don't care, I'm gonna do it anyways. Well, you, you're, you're surrendering to a lust of the flesh that you have a legitimate need, you're hungry, but you're going to fulfill it with something that you know that you can't afford or that is beyond the budget and you're doing it anyways. You're surrendering. And by the way, isn't the world system pretty good at advertisement to make you desire something that you don't really need or want? You know, you watch a Hardee's uh, commercial with a big thick burger and they make it so big and they, I don't know how they do it but they get it so it hits and everything bounces and lands the way it should and you look at it and go mmm hearties you know and, and you look at stuff and things that you may need but you don't need to have I mean things that you may legitimately be hungry and say well I've got to eat but they're trying to draw you in to go above and beyond your needs, your budgets, your whatever else. They want to get it to satisfy. Oh, I just want this. Well, go get it. That's what the world teaches us, is that just because we want it, because we think we need it, go and get it. And God's not against us having things, but we have to be careful when things have control of us. That's a problem. If you say, well, I'm having a problem paying my bills, but I can't help, but i got to stop by and get cheese fries every night. Well, that's not being wise. We understand you have a need, but it is fulfilling the need in an illegitimate or unwise way. It's a way that we could, and it goes way beyond this, but this is kind of an idea of how the world system is. It's all about satisfying what I want, what I desire. Notice if you wouldn't mind a second thing here. It says, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes. The lust of the eyes. What is the lust of the eyes? It's a desire to have something that's not yours to have. The lust of the eyes is a desire to have something that's not yours to have. So you lay your eyes on something that's not yours to have. And it doesn't, again, it doesn't have to be a sexual thing. Some guy can be envious of some guy's car. Or some lady may be envious of some lady's house. And you desire something that it's not yours to have. And, and this can feed. You can think about it. Man, I really want that house. I really want this thing. How many of us have bought something that we really want it and then a couple days later we never play with it again or never do anything with it again? You know, that's what closets are for, to stuff all the stuff that we once thought we needed and now we don't ever use again before. That we didn't think we could live without. This is what the world does. The world is trying to say, it's all about you. It's all about you. It's all about me. I want to make me happy. I want to take care of this. I want to make it mine. Then notice, if you wouldn't mind, the third part of the world system. It says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh... And the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. This last thing is the pride of life. Now, pride is always a bad thing in the Bible. What is pride? Once again, let's define our terms. Pride is a false view of oneself. A false view of oneself. And there are many different aspects of pride. 
There's the pride where you got the guy who picks up his lapels and says, look how great I am. And that the things, the pride of life for them is everything that helps them make them look great. And if anything happens in their life that doesn't make them look great or make them feel great, they get very aggravated, very angry. How dare, no, 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 no. I didn't do that. No, no, no. You didn't catch me lying. It, it was a misunderstanding. And they'll do everything to justify themselves for that pride's sake because they, do, heaven forbid, if anyone sees that they're not perfect or not human. But there's other forms of pride. You have another pride over here that says, oh man, I'm worthless and I'm useless and nobody likes me and everybody hates me and I think I'll eat some worms. Oh, I'm so pathetic and God can never use me. No one will ever like me. You know, that's pride too. That's awful pride. It's just as nasty and just as awful as that other pride with a person who thinks they're so great. And the things that happen in their life is, oh, something else that comes just to show how worthless I am. And that's how they view life. And the pride of life is that everything feeds that self-worthlessness. That's awful too. Then you got people who are proud that they're not proud. I'm just so humble. Why don't you read the book that I wrote about humbleness and how I've obtained it or the 30 most humble people in the world and how I trained 29 of them, you know, and they're, they're so proud that they're not proud, you know, and oh, no, 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 it's all right. I didn't do anything special. Don't thank me. It's all right. It's all right, you know. There's all kinds of different pride, but it's a false view of oneself. It's something that, that will continue to feed the self-worth or worthlessness that you think you already have. When pride gets involved, nobody can tell you that you did something wrong. You'll get aggravated. You're not teachable. You're not rebukable. You know, we all have flaws. You know, we all have things of ourselves that we are blind to that others can see very clearly. And if others love us and we're approachable, they can correct those things. For example, have you ever gone through a whole day and then happened to look in a mirror and saw spinach in your teeth and say, why didn't someone tell me? Why didn't someone tell me? I went around like this all day. Well, maybe it's because nobody was a, somebody was afraid to tell you hey, because they're afraid how you're going to react. How dare you do something wrong? How dare you tell me I'm not perfect? You know, no one likes rebuke. You know, you can tell a lot about a man or a woman by how they handle rebuke. A mature Christian says, thank you for helping me. I'll work on this, no matter what it is or the source. An immature Christian who has pride has a hard time accepting rebuke. They want to justify. They want to argue. They want to twist. They want to do everything they can to show that they're still right, even though they're wrong. Well, that's part of the pride. It's all about myself look at me look at me look at me how great I am or look at me how pathetic I am all of that is pride all of that is pride do you know that God loves each and every one of us and wants to use every single one of us God wants to use us and we have to be careful because we can get ruined by our own press I had a preacher this week I was working with and trying to encourage and he was uh, afterwards saying, man, you're awesome, you're awesome. And I went and told my wife about the conversation that we had and then told him what the preacher said. And she looked at me and says, honey, I love you. But if you start believing what others say about you, you're ruined. 
And you know what? She's very wise at that. If I start believing I'm as great as other people may say or think I am, or as awful as some people may think I am, I'm ruined. You know what I am? I'm a sinner saved by grace. And the only thing good in me is the Lord Christ Jesus. And we have to remember that we are nothing except servants of the Lord. And God is great and he's the only one we're there to please. But we have to be careful because all of this is the world system. And all of this is being used to draw our flesh to be against God. And we'll get more into that in just a bit. But something so innocent and something that we think is not a big deal can be a huge deal concerning with God's will. The second thing I'd like to show you is the temptation of Christ. Not only the love of the world, we define that is, but the temptation of Christ. And with that, if you wouldn't mind, hold your finger here to 1 John and look with me in the gospel record of Luke chapter number 4. The gospel record of Luke chapter 4. The Bible is clear and says there is no temptation of man that Christ has not been tempted with. We know that there's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the... (laughs) the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. Those are the three major ways that we're tempted to sin, tempted to go away from the Lord, tempted to be conformed to the world. Do you know that Jesus faced all of those temptations? Come on in. We're glad to see him. And in Luke chapter 4, we have the temptation of Jesus Christ. And as Jesus Christ faced these three temptations, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, And the pride of life. Notice with me in the gospel record of Luke in chapter number 4. The gospel record of Luke chapter 4. And notice as Jesus faces this. The temptation of Christ. Notice with me Luke 4 and verse 1. Jesus being full of the Holy Ghost returned from Jordan. And was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Being 40 days tempted of the devil. And in those days he did eat nothing. And when they were ended he afterwards hungered. By the way, you would be hungry too. Some of you can't make it a couple hours without sleepwalking to your refrigerator. Jesus, he fasted for 40 days and he was legitimately hungry. This is a long time to go without food. He is supernaturally sustained by God during this time. Of course, he is God. But there's a purpose here. You know, when we are weak, when we're sick, when we're tired... Our temptations are stronger in our life. We have less willpower. We have less strength against it. But yet Jesus, he is at his weakest point because remember, he's in a human body and he is feeling every weakness that we have. And he is in his weakest point. You know, it's one thing to be strong and to avoid temptation. It's another thing to be weak and to avoid temptation. He has fasted 40 days without food. He is physically weakened. Notice with me verse 3. And the devil said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, command this stone that it be made bread. And Jesus answered him and said, It is written that man should not live by bread alone, but every word of God. So here's this first temptation. Satan comes and appears. He knows that Jesus is hungry. Have you ever been so hungry your stomach is growling and you're bent over and said, Oh, I just need to eat. I just need to eat. Now, Jesus is legitimately hungry. He's out in the wilderness. They don't have a Walmart nearby. They don't have a McDonald's or a Burger King. They don't have somewhere where he could go. He's in the middle of the wilderness. And Jesus is tempted by Satan. Satan says, hey, take one of these rocks, one of these big boulders, 
and turn it into bread. You don't have to go hungry. You're the son of God. Notice again what Satan said. And the devil said unto him, If thou be the son of God, command this stone that it may be made bread. He says, You're God. You can do anything you want. Why don't you just take this bread or stone, make it a bread and eat. Just eat up. There's nothing, no, there's no one looking. No one's going to miss this stone. You're not changing the world. Just eat and be happy. Just change it. You know, that would be in an earthly body. That would be very tempting. You know, if you haven't eaten for a while and someone shows up with your favorite cheeseburger, say, you want this? You'd be tempted, wouldn't you? Be really tempted. And and Satan says, just turn this. Just prove yourself to be God. Just prove that you're God. And just change this bread to a stone. Could Jesus do it? Yes. Was he God? Yes. Why didn't he? Because he's in the flesh. He lives the same body as we are. And he's teaching us and giving us the example to avoid that temptation. Yes, it's something that would satisfy him. But he would have to break the laws of nature to do so. And he... It would be a selfish act because it would benefit no one else but him. So it would be a selfish act for him to do so. The other miracles he did was never for him. It was always for others. Even when he fed the 5,000, fed the 7,000, fed the 4,000. That was to be the blessing to others. When he healed others, it was not for him. It was for others. This temptation would be totally selfish. Yes, it would fill a need, but it would do it illegitimately. He was supposed to be the example of man in the flesh, and none of us can do that power. Or if you can, you probably need to be in a circus act somewhere showing off or something. But none of us can turn bread into, or rock into bread. I know some ladies who could turn bread into a rock, but that's a different story. But Jesus, he would have to break the laws of nature to do so. And so what did he say? What was Jesus' answer? It was always the Bible. Notice verse 4. And Jesus answered him and saying, It is written that man should not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. He says, I need to live by the Bible. I need to obey what the Bible says. I need to do what the Bible says. He says, yes, I I could do it and I could probably get away with it but it would be against what God has planned for me in my life. It is against what God has given me in my life. It's against, he answered it with scripture. So here we have the first temptation, the lust of the flesh. It was something that he had a legitimate need for, but it was to be brought about by an illegitimate means and illegitimate ways. And Jesus said, no, he avoided that temptation. Notice as the temptations go on, verse number 5. And the devil taking him up to a high mountain showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. Now this goes above and beyond what our imagination can go. He showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. You know that's more than just taking him to a mountain and looking to all of this. He was able to supernaturally in a moment of time, show him all the kingdoms of the world and says, hey, I'll surrender. I'll give up right now. Jesus, I'll admit that you won. All you have to do for this, I'll give up all my power. I'll let you have everything. I'll stop the fight if you just do this. Verse number six, 
And the devil said to him, All this power will I give to thee, and the glory of them that is delivered unto me, for, uh, and to whomsoever I will give it. If thou wilt worship me, all shall be thine. You understand that we've had a classic battle ever since Satan fell from heaven between God and Satan. Now it's not a duality, meaning that Satan is just as powerful as God. He is not. Satan still has to answer to God. But there's always been a fight. And we can see that this fight's going to continue through the book of Revelation to the end of time. You know the temptation here? Satan said, hey, I'll give you everything. I'll quit. I'll no longer fight you. All you have to do is just get down and worship me just once. And I'll quit. I'll say you won. I'll be satisfied. I'll walk away. I'll stop fighting you. Imagine having a world where you don't have to fight anymore. Imagine having a world where you'll get along with everyone. Imagine in a world where you won't have any problems no more. And if you could see it laid out and say you can have a world with no problems, what would you do? What would you be tempted to do? Where would your line be at? And you know what Jesus did? He walked away. He could have, all the world could have been different. Satan could have said, I quit. I won't fight you no more. He says, you don't have to worry about the struggle. I won't cause you any more problems. Just do this one thing. Bow down and worship me. Notice what Jesus answers, verse 8. Jesus answered and said unto him, Get thee, behi get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him alone shalt thou serve. Jesus says, Hey, as tempting as that may sound, God is very clear that there's only one God and only one person to worship. If I worship you... Jesus is also acknowledging that Satan is just as good as God, and he is not. And he said, I know that because I don't do this, there's going to be more struggles. I know because of this, other people are going to struggle. But I cannot do wrong in order to do right. And so what he did is he avoided the second temptation, the lust of the eyes, to have laid before you everything that you wanted. And he said, no. Because he would have to do wrong to do right. You know that's a temptation we all struggle with too? The temptation to do wrong in order to do right. The ends do not justify the means. This is the idea of the lust of the eyes. To see something that doesn't belong to you. To see something that it's not yours to have. God, Jesus knew what was supposed to happen. But he also knew the most important thing. There is only one God. Worship him. Jesus went through the same struggles that you and I went through. Jesus avoided the lust of the flesh. He avoided the lust of the eyes. Notice this last temptation in verse number 9. And he, that Satan, brought him to Jerusalem and set him on a pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down from hence. For it is written, He shall give the angels charge over thee to keep thee. And in their hands shall he bear them, uh, shall, they shall bear thee up, lest any time thou shalt dash thy foot up against a stone. So Satan had him and Jesus appear into the temple, which is a several story building. And he says, Hey, why don't you jump? And the Bible says that God will protect you and that if you jump, that the angels will come and they'll pick you up and you won't even scratch your foot. They'll take you and, and you prove yourself to be God because the angels will come and protect you. Why don't you do that? Show everyone that you're God. Here we have the pride of life. 
You know, we all want to show someone that we're someone. <laughs> we want to show everyone that we're something, that we're worth something, that we're important. And, God, and Satan's saying, hey, why don't you just jump? You know what the Bible says. God will protect you. Did you know Satan knows your Bible? He knows your Bible better than you do. Do you know that Adolf Hitler quoted scripture quite often? He quoted more scripture than most of you probably know. Not trying to be mean. I'm saying he knew quite a bit of scripture. He used scripture all the time to justify his actions. Doesn't mean he was right. We need to know what the Bible says because the enemy knows what the Bible says. And they're going to try to fool you with what the Bible says. Notice what Jesus says, verse 12. Jesus answering and said unto him, It is said, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Hey, that was a legitimate thing. Satan was correct. If Jesus did jump from that pinnacle, the angels would come. But Jesus also said, You shouldn't tempt the Lord your God. It's what the Bible says. You know, that's foolishness to throw ourselves into traffic and say, God will protect me. You know, as a little kid, you know, kids do foolish things. Have you ever tried to play Frogger across the highway, you know, have the interstate, the four lanes and say, I'm going to walk through and I'm not going to stop, right? You know, and try to jump through. You say, I would never do that. You know, there's some foolish boys who would. You know, that's a temptation. That's that don't tempt God. Don't say, well, God will protect me and go do something foolish. You know, because I want to prove that I'm important. God loves me so much. I can do this and I can get away with it. We got to be careful. We got to be careful. The pride of life here. Now, why are we bringing up the temptation of Christ? Because Jesus was tempted in all points as we were. Jesus went through the same problems, the same heartbreaks, and the same troubles that you and I went through. The thing that was different is that he passed them all. Jesus never sinned. Why is that important? Because when Jesus died on the cross, he died as a sinless man. And he was able to die for the price that you and I owed him. The Bible says in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says in order to go to heaven, we have to be perfect. But unfortunately, dear friend, we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. You say, all of us have sinned? Yes. You know the Bible gives what is called the Ten Commandments. Those are God's basic rules. And in one of the Ten Commandments it says, Thou shall not bear false witness. We would say it like this. Don't tell lies. Do you know I'm a pastor of a church and I've told a lie before? I've told lies before. How many of you have ever told a lie before? Raise your hand. If you're not raising your hand, you're a liar. Because we all have, haven't we? The Bible says in the Ten Commandments to honor thy father and thy mother. Basically, we would say obey your folks. You know, I'm a pastor of a church and I know you may have to hold on to something, but I've disobeyed my folks before. I know. <gasps> How many of you ever disobeyed your folks before? We all have. This is a time where parents often look around and make sure that the kids are raising their hands, right? We, we've all done something wrong. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says in Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. The Bible says because we've sinned against God, because we've told lies, because we've stolen cookies from the cookie jar, because we've disobeyed our folks, the wage or the payment we owe God is death. You see, because of our sin, something has to die. Either we die or 
Jesus dies on our behalf. God finished off the verse in Romans 6.23 where he said, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Do you know that God loved you so much that Jesus came down on this earth and he robed himself in flesh. And he lived the same life that you and I lived. He went through these temptations. He went through the heartbreaks. He went through the troubles. And then Jesus died being perfect on the cross to pay for your sins and mine. He was buried on a borrowed tomb, but on the third day he rose again. When he rose again, it proved two things. It proved, first of all, that Jesus was indeed God it also proved that God was satisfied with the payment that Jesus made. That Jesus' death on the cross was enough to pay for the sins of the whole world, to pay for your sins, to pay for mine. When Jesus faced the temptation, he went through the same things that you and I face, but he died sinless. He never did anything wrong. That's why the temptation of so, uh, Christ is so important. But he also died to give us an example. He lived to give us an example that we can avoid temptation and we should avoid temptation. You know, there are times that you're going to have to say no, no, even though your flesh really wants it and it craves it and it desires it. No, no. One thing that we're not good at is telling our bodies no. I really want a Dr. Pepper and I need it and whatever else. No, no. There are certain things we have to say no to. Man, I want to stay up all night and play video games. No, no. I want to go spend money that I don't have. No, no. But I really, really, really want a brand new diamond necklace. No, no. You know, you say, would it be nice to have? Yes. Would it be sinful to have? No, not necessarily, unless you're using money that you don't have. There's things you're going to have to say no to. There are some things that maybe you can legitimately have and maybe you can legitimately buy, but it's going to be a waste and you could use the money for something wise. Maybe something to be a help to someone. Maybe use it for missions. Maybe use it to save up for someone's college, save up for something else. You know, there's many people in America today that don't have any kind of savings. And what happens when hard times come? Because they use their money foolishly. They don't have anything to give. They don't have anything to back up on. You know, there's wise things that we should do. And just because we can get it right then and there and no one will care, sometimes we'll have to say no. Sometimes we'll have to avoid the temptation. Because why? Because it can lead us away from where God wants us to have. Which brings me to the last thing. Notice back with me. 1 John chapter number 2. 1 John chapter 2. We showed you the love of the world. And we described what the love of the world. That it's not the world the people. Or the world the dirt. But it's the world system. And the world system is against God. And the three ways that the world system tries to conform us. To try to make us more like it. Is by the lust of the flesh. The lust of the eyes. And the pride of life. Notice with me 1 John chapter 4. One last thing I want to show you. The will of God. The will of God. Notice with me 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2 if you don't mind. And verse number 16. Uh, first, uh, let's start 
context sake, verse 15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever." Do you know that you're living for either today or living for eternity? You are either building up things in this world or building up things in eternity. If you could forgive the personal reference, back when I was a kid, we didn't have all the console video games that kids get enjoy today. You know what we had? We had the arcade ones where you stick in quarters to. And one of my things that my parents hated was those video games. Why? Because I would waste money for a couple minutes time. And I could put in a lot of quarters and a lot of different games. But you know when it was all said and done, when I had to show for it? I didn't even get tickets. I didn't get a stuffed bear. I didn't get a bracelet. I didn't get a little uh, spy. I didn't get candy. I got a couple minutes of enjoyment for money, and then it's gone. You know, there are certain things we need to be wise at. Sure, you could eat out Red Lobster every day, but when it's all said and done, what do you get back from what you invested into it? Except for all the waiters knowing who you are, you know. You know, there's a wisdom with the finances that we have. There's a wisdom with what we have. And we could use it to invest in this world or we could use it to invest in the world to come. Notice again verse 17. And the world passeth away. You know, you could get as many houses as you want, but you know one day they're going to either burn up or someone else is going to live in them. One day you're going to die and someone else is going to live in your house. One day you're going to die and someone's going to get all of your clothes and all of your closet full of shoes. And if you're lucky, they'll go to a family or someone who's going to appreciate it. If you're not, they're going to put it in a, r a rummage sale and they're going to sell the stuff that you bought for lots of money for five cents, for 25 cents, all that stuff that you spent for. The Bible is saying and trying to give us wisdom to invest what we have wisely. Notice as the Bible goes on, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. You know that we can live in this world and we can serve God and God can use us in this world. And what's going to happen is the things we do for the Lord will last forever. We'll see in eternity. When we see people who, who we helped, people that we encouraged, people that we led to the Lord, those things will last forever and ever and ever. It can never be taken away. And when we get to the other side of eternity and we get to see all those things that we said, you know what, instead of buying a McDonald's cheeseburger, I'm going to give that to missions. It may not be much, but I could give it so a missionary can go across the world and tell someone about the Lord. You know, instead of getting my extra ice cream per meal, what I could do is I could cut back on some of that. And maybe I could give it to the Lord's work. Maybe I could buy a Bible for someone so they could read it for themselves. Maybe I could buy tracks so we could tell people about the Lord. Maybe I could use it for the Lord's sake. You know, what about not just your, your money, what about your time? You know, there's a lot of things we do as time wasters. Facebook is a big time waster. The internet is a big time waster. There's a lot of things, and there's some good that can be done, and there's some bad can do it. At the very worst, it's a time waster. Television, time waster. 
You say, are you against television? I'm not against anything that's done in its appropriate amount of time. But don't you understand how many hours we spend in front of TV? And how much time we could use it for something else, for God's good and God's glory? When it's all said and done, that television program is going to fade away. It does nothing for eternity. But the labor that we do for God, the labor we do for helping someone else, to pay attention, to help invest in someone, to care for someone else, that lasts and that matters. We could use our finances. We could use our time. We could use our talents. There are some people who use their talents who could sing so beautifully. And you know what they do? They use it to make money, which not necessarily a bad thing, except for the place they use it for their own selves. They, they could sing to sing awful worldly songs. Or someone could use their talents for the Lord and use it to bring people closer to the Lord. You understand that there, we, we could either serve God or not serve God. I want to show you with this idea of the will of God. Turn with me to James 4.4. And I want to show you a verse that scared me to death. The book of James, if you're in the book of 1 John, turn to the left. You'll hit 2 Peter, 1 Peter. And then you'll come to the book of James. James chapter 4 and verse 4. James chapter 4 and verse 4. And I want to show you a scary verse that actually helped me so much as a young Christian. James 4.4, it says, Ye adulterers and adulteresses. Now, this is not talking about physical adultery. This is talking about spiritual adultery. What is adultery? It's putting your love and affection to something that it doesn't belong to. Do you know that there's a certain amount of love and affection that belongs to God that we sometimes give to someone else? That's spiritual adultery. Ye adulterers. Adulteresses, know ye not that friendship with the world is enmity, that means enemies, with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do you know that when we succumb to the temptations, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, we become the enemies of God. You say, wait a second, I'm not against God. No, listen to this. If God has a plan, and because of our selfishness, we get in the way of God's plan, by nature we become the enemies of God because we're hindering what God is doing. Maybe God wants to use you to go be a help to someone, but instead you're so selfish and you're playing your own thing and wasting your own time. You're getting in the way of what God wanted to do. If we're using our finances unwisely, we can get in the way of what God wanted to do with those things. If we were so selfish and it's all about me and it's not about him or others, we get in the way of what God wants to do. You see how easy it is to become the enemy of God just by surrendering to be a friend of the world. Saying, oh, I love the world and I, I want to be just like the world and I want to have the world's things and I want to... I want to do this and I want to look and I want everyone to think I'm nice and, and get to the place where it's all about you. We can miss out on what God is doing in the world and even hinder some of the things that God wants to get accomplished. Thus, accidentally, we're not purposely, no one in here is saying, I have decided to follow Satan. You wouldn't be here if you wanted to sing that. But we can accidentally become God's enemy by using our time, by using our talents, by using the things that God has given us, by giving in to temptation, 
and accidentally getting in the way of what God is doing in this world. We can accidentally become the enemy of God. You say, can God forgive us? Yes, but it doesn't stop that we hindered God's plan in that specific area. That we can be a hindrance to what God is trying to get accomplished. And by the way, we live in a world of selfish Christians today. And they continually get in the way of what God wants to get accomplished. And I'm not trying to say this to be mean. I'm not trying to accuse. I'm trying to give the reality of it. That you may say, well, I'm not hurting anybody by feeding me and making myself better and getting all the things that I want. No, but you may accidentally get in the way of what God is trying to get accomplished. And that is a serious thing. What is God trying to accomplish? He says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, that God is not slack concerning His promises as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, word, not willing that any shall perish, but all shall come to repentance. You know what God's goal is? To see as many people come to know Jesus Christ as personal Savior as possible. And sometimes because of our own selfishness, because of us giving in to the flesh, what happens, we can get in the way of what God is doing. You know, sometimes even our attitudes, remember the pride of life, throwing a little fit? No, no, no! I don't care what you said, I'm still right. You know, we could push people away from the Lord because of that. We could get in, inhibit what God is doing and, and turn people off from the Lord by us calling ourselves Christians and then not being teachable and not surrendering and not submitting and allowing us someone to help us. Now you say, well, what's the whole purpose of this? Well, the main purpose I want to show you is that Jesus Christ, he successfully went through all this temptation and he passed it all. And then he died on the cross for you and for me. And that if you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal savior, you do not know that he has forgiven all of your sins, then dear friend today, I want to tell you, you can have forgiveness of sins. Everything that you've ever done, everything you ever will do, God can give you forgiveness for all of it. For those who are saved, I want to bring to your attention that, you know, we can be so selfish that we can get in the way of what God is doing. And you know yourself. I don't have to go through a list of all the different things. You know where you're selfish at. You know where you struggle. You know what parts of your life that you keep surrendering and giving into your craving and getting... In, involved whether it's the lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes or the pride of life you know where it is you struggle and you could see if you have discernment where that can hinder God getting something accomplished what I'm just trying to do is I'm just trying to show you the Bible and I'm just trying to show you where you're at and we take people from where they're at and we try to encourage them to take a step forward Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 
920-530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.